Please stand as you're able to reverence the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those uh, living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ City Church. I hope that you had a meaningful Thanksgiving. I know that for all of us, it was different than many of the Thanksgivings of previous years. Some of you had Zoom Thanksgiving celebrations. Some of you simply had smaller, quieter Thanksgivings. And even though there was perhaps a tinge of sadness in our celebrations, I hope that you were still able to find things for which you are thankful. Ways that you're able to see God's blessing and care over you despite the bleak year that 2020 has been. Because even in harsh seasons, God is still good. God is still glorious. God is still majestic. Even in times when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, waters roar and foam and the mountains quake, God is still our refuge. God is still the one from which all of our thanksgivings can flow. One of the things that I'm most thankful for is is you, Christ City Church. All of you who have faithfully joined us Sunday after Sunday, all of you who have joined us for worship and prayer nights throughout the year, you who have made your way into Zoom room small groups, you who have continued to pray for Christ City, who have continued to give sacrificially and financially to Christ City, you who have served our city with your prayers, your socially distanced presence, your encouragement. Pandemics may have distanced us, but it has not stopped us from doing the work of God in our city and in our world and in our church community. And so even though the mountains quake and the waters roar, God has been a refuge, and that refuge for me has been displayed in the community that goes by the name of Christ City Church. And for that, I, I, I give thanksgiving. So thank you. Today's a a special day in the life of our church and the life of the church around the world. For Christians around the world and throughout history, today marks the start of the Advent season in the Christian calendar. Now, the Christian calendar, it's, it's also sometimes referred to as the liturgical calendar, and it's an annual schedule that commemorates certain days of, uh, certain days and certain seasons related to the history of salvation of uh, the world through God. 
Some denominations observe most of the most of the liturgical calendar, while other denominations or traditions they tend to focus on only a few days or dates. Typically, Christ City Church has fallen into the latter category, though we have a deep appreciation for the full calendar. Advent begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, which for us falls on the Sunday after the American holiday of Thanksgiving. The first Sunday of Advent, it also marks the start of the new year for Christians. And while most of us might recognize the weekend after Thanksgiving as the official start of the Christmas season and the appropriate time to begin listening to Christmas music, I might add, in the historic Christian calendar, the Christmas season is called Christmas Tide. In the liturgical calendar, it actually begins on December 25th and lasts for 12 days, a la the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, ending on January 6th, which is the day of Epiphany. Now, Epiphany is a celebration of the Magi, sometimes called the Three Kings Day, and it commemorates the 12th day of Christmas, or 12 days after Jesus' birth, when tradition notes that the Magi visited Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. In some Christian traditions, the season of Epiphany Tide, it ends on the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, which is the start of the Lenten season. So you follow? Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let me back up to Advent. Um, Advent is taken from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival or coming, and was uh, from the translation of the words used to describe both Jesus' coming in human flesh in the incarnation and the anticipation of Jesus' second coming that is still ahead of us. Advent is a season filled with anticipation, anticipation of arrivals of all sorts, of Jesus' Arrivals, anticipating the celebration of Jesus' first arrival in an out-of-the-way town, in an out-of-the-way place, under empire rule, born in poverty and surprise. And Advent fills us with anticipation of Jesus' second coming, when he will return fully and faithfully and finally, setting right all that is wrong, healing all that is broken, and restoring all that has remained lost. For Christians, we begin our calendar filled with anticipation of Jesus' arrival, of Jesus' arrivals. Traditionally, there are four Advent themes that are celebrated. Hope, love, joy, and peace. They're often differently ordered depending on the year, but the four themes remain constant, for they they capture aspects of our anticipation. They They capture nuances and and depths of our anticipation for Jesus and for the year. You see, in in hope, love, joy, and peace, there's there's a resonance of these truths in our souls that causes the deeper parts of us to to, to look ahead and to respond. Whatever else this new year holds, I, I pray that hope and love and joy and peace, that those things are the constants. This year... As we prayed about how we as a church might approach Advent, we were struck by this passage from Isaiah 9. It's often an Advent passage. We've explored Isaiah 9 as a church in previous years. In Isaiah 9, too, the prophet writes, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. As we come to the end of a calendar year, And as we begin looking ahead to a new year, this verse, this notion of a dawning, a a light breaking in a heaven of darkness, it, it stirs me. It captures literally what I am groaning for physically and emotionally and spiritually in these days. 
2020 has been so much a darkness for so many. Sickness and death and violence and injustice and lies and confusion and fear have been the carry-on upon which this year has feasted. And the emotional and spiritual toll has felt like a long, dark night. And to hear the foresighted words of an ancient prophet deliver to us news that those of us walking in darkness will see a great light, to hear that a light has dawned is a needed and fitting framing for our Advent journey. We want to consider this Advent season. What does it mean for us to see these Advent themes emerge from darkness? What does it mean for hope and joy and love and peace to emerge from a land of deep darkness? Isaiah 9, it actually begins with the word nevertheless. In verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. It begins by recognizing that there was a good bit of gloom coming into chapter 9. Nevertheless, all this gloom that has taken place, there will be no more gloom, no more misery, no more anguish for those in distress. In the chapters leading up to 9, Isaiah actually chronicles the shape of the gloom. Israel in Isaiah's day, they were given to folly and foolishness. They were given to idolatry and godlessness. They turned and continued to turn away from the God of rescue and sought to make for themselves a future apart from God's love and mercy and justice. In Isaiah 5, the prophet speaking on behalf of God identifies the things that have gone into Israel's darkness making. In Isaiah 5, beginning in verse 20, the prophet says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. You see, the Lord is looking to bring conviction to Israel by pointing out the ways that they have abandoned the ways of God. He says, you call evil good and good evil. You call light dark and dark light. He's saying that you practice deception and falsehood. You don't tell the truth. You paddle in lies. There's a phrase that my grandpa used from time to time to describe such a person. He'd say they speak with a forked tongue. It conjures the image of the serpent in the garden that deceived Adam and Eve. Uh, the serpent didn't speak straight. The serpent lied to him. My grandpa Odie, he'd tell me, son... Don't speak with a forked tongue and stay away from folks that do. I was talking to uh, Eric, one of our Crest City members, uh, recently, and somehow in our conversation, I used the phrase, speak with a forked tongue. Eric is from Kenya, and when I use the phrase, he just just bust out laughing. He said, I've never heard that phrase before. So I started to explain it, but then he interrupts me. He goes, oh, I know what it means. It makes complete sense. It's talking about people who don't tell the truth about things. I said, man, you're spot on. The Lord is saying, you've spoken with a forked tongue, you've trafficked in lies. The Lord, through Isaiah, goes on to say, you don't listen to the wisdom of others. You believe yourself clever in your own sight. You acquit the guilty for a bribe, yet deny justice to the innocent. You see, the, the shape of Israel's darkness has been a denial of, a perversion of, a gutting of justice. And in so doing, 
They call that just. They call it good. They call that law and order. A few chapters later, Isaiah would continue to spotlight Israel's darkness. In Isaiah 8, the prophet has this to say as a word of caution, conviction, and potential deliverance. Verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of his people, of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. You see, this is Isaiah's admonition. His his admonition uh, is that we are to be guided by faith in the Lord, not the fear of conspiracies. We're to be guided by God and his grace, not by the trickery and lies of the foolish. Isaiah is naming the death, he's naming the darkness, but he's also laying a path for light to dawn. Isaiah continues a few verses down in 8 verse 21, uh, where he says this, Distressed and hungry, they will roam the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. And they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. The prophet concludes chapter 8 with these, with these cold words. Distress, hunger, famine, rage, curses, gloom, darkness. And were we to stop here, we would be left with an enveloping darkness, a shroud of sorrow that suffocates hope. And yet it is into this darkness that Isaiah continues in chapter 9. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The prophet proclaims an advent message, a message of anticipation, of anticipated arrival, of, of rescue and salvation. The prophet shouts the good news that because of God's love, the darkness doesn't have a last word. Because darkness doesn't have the last word. Darkness doesn't last in whatever shape darkness takes. And justice doesn't have the last word. Violence doesn't have the last word. Deceit, death, violence, viruses, none of it has the last word. Generations later, the Gospel of John would clarify who that dawning light is. It is Jesus. John 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, all of humanity. The the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Church, this this is hope. This first Sunday of Advent, hope is what Isaiah is alluding to in Isaiah 9 too. Hope is what is needed in the darkness of days and nights, and yet hope doesn't exist on its own. Hope always has an object. This Advent, 
Let our hope be directed toward the person and the work of Jesus. Whatever else you are hoping for in the days and seasons and year ahead, I pray that Jesus is the ultimate hope that you have. For Jesus is the truest light in the darkness, the light that will not fail nor fade, the one true light that the darkness has not overcome, will not overcome, and will not ever overcome. Jesus is the light that has the power not only to overcome darkness, but to transform transform darkness into light, which is the most beautiful of miracles. As author Pamela Hawkins writes, perhaps no other word better illumines the Advent story than hope. When we read the Christmas story in the Gospels, hope is a plumb line through it. We, we hope that Mary would say yes. We hope that Joseph would not reject her upon hearing the news of her pregnancy. We, we hope that their long journey to Bethlehem would bring no harm. We hope that the bright star overhead would bring only good. We hope that there's room at the end. Shepherds hope for good news of a birth in a manger. Angels hope for peace in human hearts. And magi hope to find a newborn king. Advent is an advent without hope. Without hope, we're left standing in Isaiah 8 and standing in the cold and the dark. And yet we anticipate in vain if we anticipate in a Christless hope. Advent hope is hope that's centered on Jesus. And it's what actually allows us and frees us to see light in the darkness. For without a Christ-centered hope, the light that we see, it actually annoys us. It like taunts us, it, it stirs our cynicism, it angers us because the invitation to hope without Jesus, it seems naive at best or, or cruel at worst. And yet hope informed by Jesus, this hope, it, it sees light for what it is and what it could be. Light in the darkness, the, the, the great light that we see in Jesus, it bursts with the possibility of new life and of a changed life, a yes, pregnant with possibility. The entire reason we can hope this Advent, this new year, is because hope is a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is the object of our hope. Our hope rests at the feet of Jesus and on the cross of Jesus. To quote Hawkins again, in the stories and in the season of Advent, God opens everything to us through hope born of expectation. Expectation that Christ is coming to make all things new. And in the coming of Christ, we find the coming of hope made real in flesh and blood. One of the songs that we sang to open our service and to open our season of Advent is the old Charles Wesley hymn, Come thou long-expected Jesus. It's a hymn that captures the anticipation and hope of light amidst darkness. It's a hymn of hope. Come thou long-expected Jesus. Born to set your people free, free from our fears and from our sins. To find our rest in you, our strength and our consolation, hope of all the earth, joy of Every longing heart. Church, this morning, this season, the invitation to you is to place your hope in Jesus, to trust Him with the year that is passing, and to have hope in the year ahead because the object of your hope is Jesus. Where in your life or where in our world are you needing the light of Christ to break forth? Where in your life or where in our world are you singing and saying, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Name that. Name those places. 
Name those geographies of our city and of your heart and invite Jesus to take up residence there this Advent. Let me pray for us. Oh, long-expected Jesus, I pray that you would come and take up residence in our life and in our world in a new and a fresh way this Advent. We anticipate and long and groan for your arrival because we know that your presence transforms those places, renews and restores those places in our world and in our soul. God, I pray that this Advent that that is our experience, that we experience the truth of a great light that is Jesus dawning in our lives and in our world. I pray these things in the name of that light. In Jesus' name, amen.